Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble, the chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every Broadway musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the boards and are Broadway's Backbone. This is part one of episode five. Special guest, Brad Anderson. Welcome, Brad Anderson. How are you? Hi, how are you? Good. So I'm just going to read through your credits and uh, we can go from there. So uh, on Broadway, you were in Fosse, Kiss Me Kate, The Boy From Oz, All Shook Up, and A Chorus Line. Yes. National tours. We have uh, Damn Yankees tour, the Aida tour, and then you did the Anything Goes Broadway uh, concert. And then South Pacific, you were nominated for Helen Hayes nomination. Was that tour or was that... That was at the Arena Stage in D.C. Oh, okay. Yes. Well, great. Well, uh, just can you tell me, you grew up in Texas. How did you get started? Where did you train? And a little bit about yourself. Okay. It all starts here. Um, I started taking ballet uh, probably either around the age of five. Um, my mom had taken me to a ballet um, performance, and I saw these dancers, and I said, I want to do that. Basically, that's all it was. Um, I had great parents who always gave us the option of doing what we were interested in. And we got to try all those things. I mean, a lot of kids don't have that experience, but I mean, I was lucky that, that I did. And my brother and my sister also had the same opportunities as me. I just did a lot of things. I was like that kid that couldn't get enough. I just was always busy. So, um, yeah, I, I started uh, at this place in Colleen, Texas, uh, at Newcomb School of Dance. Um, it's a very old Russian woman, uh, and her daughter apparently was in City Ballet at the time. This is in 1974, so uh, I am going to ballet class every day, it seems. Um, we lived not too far from the ballet studio, and my school was across the street. So I loved dancing so much that I would wear my black tights and my white t-shirt under my school clothes every day <laughs> because I couldn't wait to take my clothes off and get to class because that was my life when I was five. I, I wore my black tights and white t-shirt and my black ballet shoes. I put my school clothes over that. I rode my red Schwinn to uh, school and then across the street and then back home every day. So that's kind of where that got started. Um, I was in class a good couple of years um and then as with any kid you're gonna get bored sometimes of doing the same thing so i was so hyper as a child just kind of like i am now i'm still freaking hyper as all get out but um i would watch the cheerleaders at, bat- at football games we'd always go to the football games and watch the high school football team because we loved it um my, my dad loved sports and um i would see the cheerleaders tumbling on the field and i was like i want to do that so I, I remember, I can remember it like it was yesterday. My ballet teacher, I went in there and I said, I'm going to go take gymnastics. And she cried. And she says, please don't do this. Please don't leave this discipline. You're too good to leave the discipline. And if you leave, you'll never come back. I'm seven. <laughs> I did and I was like, uh, okay. So anyway, I, I started gymnastics. And... I actually was in gymnastics longer than I was ever as a dancer. Um, if I were to say I was a dancer first, eh, I was probably a gymnast first. Um, 
uh, because I started that at seven or eight, and I was in gymnastics all through college. Um, I got a scholarship to, to college for gymnastics, and I turned it down because I wanted to go to a Texas school because um, uh, my parents had gotten transferred out to New Mexico. I was raised in Texas, but my junior year of high school, my dad got transferred to New Mexico. So uh, it's really hard as a junior to leave your entire life behind. But I went to New Mexico, and I made new friends. And I tried out for the cheerleading squad there and made, it, made that. Um, let me backtrack a little bit. I was a cheerleader from the 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. All of that, plus doing gymnastics and competing at the state level. So um, I was very fortunate to have great coaches in gymnastics. I actually had Marta and Bella Caroli, who are the Olympic coaches, were my coaches as well at oh. certain points of the summer because I would go to summer camps. Um, so I was, you know, a little kid from small town East Texas. My mom and dad found ways of getting me to the right places, which was great. Um, but once I got out of high school, I kind of thought I need to do, you know, the right thing and get a job and, you know, get a respectful, have a good career. But I had to go to school and major in something that's not dance. So I, I finished high school and I went to a junior college uh, in Texas because I got a full scholarship as a cheerleader. So I was paying for all my school. Um, also, let me backtrack one little thing. When I was a senior in high school, my parents were still in New Mexico. Um, I knew that I needed to get back to Texas so I could graduate from my high school in order to get in-state tuition. And I, and I knew I was gonna be paying for all of my school, so I needed to get back to graduate so my schooling would be cheaper. Um, at that point, I didn't know I was gonna have a cheerleading scholarship, but I moved back when I was 17 and finished my senior year, and I lived in an apartment by myself so technically, I've been paying my bills since I was 17. Wow. And I'm tired of it. I need somebody <laughs> to come in here. <laughs> well, I mean, as sugar a, daddy, sugar daddy. As a cheerleader, though, like in high school, I mean, in Texas, mm. were you teased mm. or you bullied? Was there any of that? Oh, yeah. Uh, there were no male cheerleaders in my town. I went against the grain of everything. Everything our town stood for, males played basketball, football, and baseball. Or they rodeo. Or they, <laughs> they wrangle cattle. I'm not kidding. I believe it. That's what they do. You get on a horse or a bull until you get bucked off. But I was going to dance class or I was going to gymnastics. The day that I decided to try out for cheerleader, um, of course, at the end of the day, we always had band. And I was a percussionist in, in my in eighth grade, in seventh grade, excuse me. And um, I remember the principal came on the intercom and said, all young ladies wanting to try out for cheerleader, please come to the auditorium. And I was like, that's my cue. So I walked out of band, and just know that band in a small town, everyone is in band. So to walk out in front of 100 kids, to go to be the only guy was a huge thing for me. And... It started just the endless days of mocking and bullying, and but I didn't care. I didn't care because I came home and my parents were very, very supportive, and they could talk me through anything. So they'd always say, you do what you want to do, and we'll support you, and the rest would fall into place. So I didn't 
you know, I had I grew a thick skin, and to be honest, I, I think I I always had that thick skin until my thirties, and I think when you're an adult, I think a lot of crap in your life starts coming out, and around thirty, a lot of crap started coming out, and I feel like could have been a lot of that that I just suppressed when I was younger, but who knows? But you know, hey, when you're in New York, you get a therapist and you work through it. Oh, so, absolutely. That's what and you do. I mean, it's who. Who you are now, and this is the man that's great. Well, and that man is still evolving too. So yes, hopefully. Oh, I think absolutely. If you don't learn as you go, then what's the point? Right. Yeah. So we were at college, and you had a cheerleader scholarship. I was at college, and um, I went to Kilgore Junior College, uh, and I went there for a year and a half, and then I transferred to Texas Tech, which is a bigger school, and loved it. I was a cheerleader there, and I was studying clinical nutrition, so I was really interested in the medical side of food. And food has always been kind of a something in, you know, just because, just uh, not just eating it, because I love eating it, but food has always been there for me in some aspect. I cooked a lot with my mom and my grandmother uh, every Sunday. It was like a big thing. I mean, even my sister and I would come home when we were little and we would play together and we would play restaurant. We would create a restaurant in our kitchen, in our living room, and just me and her, like, set up a table put up curtains and cover the kitchen and come out and take our orders and go back and make it. And I mean, it's a full-on restaurant we would do after school. So food has been always in my life on some aspect. At that point of uh, going to tech, I um, was in a lot of chemistry classes and biology, and I love I love science. I, it's one of my favorite things to do. And um, I'm just living the life of college and Every weekend I was uh, traveling with the football team, going to whatever games we were at football field, and then it became basketball season and blah, 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 blah. Well, um, my third year at Tech, uh, I was in a really bad car accident. I basically, it was my roommate, me, in the front seat, and my cheerleading partner and another girl that uh, was on the dance team. All four of us were in the car and we were driving to McDonald's. Um, that's all I can tell you because I don't remember anything else except waking up in the hospital. When I went to look at the wreck, the car, there was a hole in the windshield on my side. I apparently went through the windshield and landed on the front grill of an 18-wheeler and my face implanted right there. I woke up with a huge like concussion, uh, like a 300 stitches in my head, I had no eyebrows. <laughs> they were gone. Drag queens would have loved it. <laughs> um, my eyebrow, my eyelids were completely split. I had abrasions on the right side of my face, just completely covered. It looked like a piece of hamburger meat. It was awful. And I had to withdraw from school because I was pretty messed up. So I withdrew from school, and I just never got back into it because I lost my scholarship, I lost my funding, so I just I didn't have any money. And for me to reapply, I just, it seemed daunting at the time because everything else was just rolling in and it stopped and because I had to withdraw. So um, so I didn't finish. I, I, I got to my senior year and I probably had a semester or two left and I'd have been done. But uh, after that I moved to Dallas and uh, started teaching at uh, gymnastics because that's what I did. I was a gymnast and I taught cheerleading and gymnastics at a local dance studio. And next door, uh, 
was a actually I got the job from one of my really great friends. Her name is Tempe Kirby, and she lives in Texas. And I would teach my classes, and then after my classes were done, I would go right over and take her jazz technique and her jazz class. So uh, that's kind of when I got started back into my dancing when I was 21. So everything came back pretty good. Uh, my ballet technique came back pretty good, and jazz came back even better. And it was just it just kind of fit again, and it just felt really nice. Um, at the time, I was living with a guy, his name is David Hamer, and well, still one of my dearest friends. He was a producer at Six Flags, so he did all the shows at Six Flags. And at that time, uh, Six Flags, Great, uh, Great Adventure, Magic Mountain, uh, 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 Six Flags Over Texas, Georgia, they had one producer in Dallas, and they did all the shows of every uh, park. And my, my roommate was like, are you interested in doing one of our shows? And I said, theme park? No. <laughs> I don't want to do that. But, I mean, it, it didn't just seem, because I'd seen the shows and it seemed a little cheesy to me, so I didn't want to do it. But my roommate was like, well, I just thought it would be a good stepping stone. I said, stepping stone for what? I don't, I'm just taking class. I'm not, you know, I'm, I, I hadn't thought about it as a career on any level. Um, until he said, you should, you should just go to an audition for something. And I said, what? The next Thing he said that he goes, I, I have con uh, I have connections with the Miss Texas pageant, so why don't you go audition for the Miss Texas pageant? So I did, and I got the job, and I got paid five hundred bucks. I was like five hundred dollars, that's a lot of money. <laughs> so um, I, I, I danced the Miss Texas pageant, and my roommate came and saw it, and my friend Tempe, who I was taking dance from, she came and saw it, and she was like, "You're looking down, you're looking down, you gotta look up, you gotta look up." <laughs> she's giving me notes. <laughs> so I was like, okay, nice friend. okay, but hey, she's right. Yeah. She was right. She was my teacher. But the funny thing is, is that she's only like five years older than me at the time. So um, David Hamer, he came back and he says, "You look great on stage. Why don't you try out for a show?" And there's there's a show out in Vegas called Jubilee, and I, I didn't know anything about it because I don't know anything about show business at all. I'm 23, and uh, I had been to New York once because every year the Macy's Day Parade has the, the very big opening number, all those little dancers and cheerleaders that mm -hmm. are like covering the city. I was part of that group. It was my first exposure to New York City and the first time I ever saw a musical. So I saw Phantom of the Opera, and of course, because that's what everyone sees. And then um, I went home, and during the summer, my mom said, Do you have, uh, you have tonight off? And I said, Sure. She goes, I have these tickets for um, Big River. So I went and saw Big River at Robinson Auditorium in Little Rock. And I loved it. I was like, wow, that's amazing. Those guys are good. They can sing. And it was just a great show. Um, but then I came back to Dallas, and David was like, you know what? You need to go to this audition. It's January, uh, It's uh, November's the audition, and the contract starts January 1st. So, David flew me out there with his money, went with me, and I ended up getting the job. I went to an audition. I had no idea what I was doing. No idea. I just followed the, the lead, you know, showgirl, whatever they were telling us to do. And to, I had to be back uh, December 15th to start rehearsals because this contract, our first show was January 1st. So, we flew back to, New York, flew back to Dallas and two weeks later, 
we drove. David and I drove um, together, and he he's like my mom, kind of. He I, he's still a great friend. He sometimes he says, you know, I'm your mother. You know, he's only ten years older than me, but he took care of me like nobody's business. It was great. So um, he we we drove out there together. The same day I got there, he set me up in my apartment, which we had got, you know, sight unseen. He drove that night back. Wow. Yeah, or he flew back that night, because I had my car, and I was driving in my car. So, there I was, Las Vegas, January, uh, December 31st, 1992. By myself, I've never been away from home in any other capacity other than Dallas, Texas. And um, my apartment wasn't ready, so... I found a room at, is it uh, Camelot? Not Camelot, but it's that uh, Excalibur. Excalibur, That yes. awful. <laughs> so, but no, but in 92, it was brand it, new. It was brand new. Yes, I remember. Okay, so <laughs> 92 or 93, MGM Grand was opening up. And they opened up New Year's Eve, Barbra Streisand. Okay? I checked into Excalibur. I tried to check in, and they said, your room isn't ready. Uh, I'm like, it's 11 p.m. Why isn't my room ready? So they said, can you come back in an hour? I said, fine. So it was a big big deal that MGM Grand had just built this big, huge, green, emerald green place. And Barbara Streisand was all over every marquee. I walked over there and thought, oh, my God, look at all these people, these tuxedos and everything. And I walked in, like, just seeing – I'd never seen a slot machine – and people just drinking, like, women's with their boobs hanging out, like, serving drinks. And I was like, <laughs> where am I? And then I saw the entrance. This is Barbara Streisand. And everyone was, I guess the show was about to start, and they were just filing in. And I was like, maybe I can sneak in. And I was like, how am I going to sneak in? I've got on jeans and a t-shirt. Everyone else is going in ball gowns and tuxedos. I saw this uh, casino worker go on her break. She took her little coverlet jacket off that had her name tag on it, Marge. I just took her jacket, took the name pin off, and that's how I spent my New Year's Eve in this deserted, well, this place that I'd never been before and watched Barbara Streisand perform because I had on the jacket and I thought I worked there. Wow. So I, w- I walked in and, like, tickets for $5,000 or $500 to $1,000 a, a ticket. So... I watched Barbara Streisand standing up in the back as an usher. I wasn't an usher, but I stole the jacket. <laughs> Poor Marge. She was like, where's my coat? <laughs> so, um, but anyway, but that's that's why I started my career at Jubilee, and I started rehearsals the next day. And I did Jubilee for about six months. Um, and I liked it a lot. I met a lot of wonderful friends. Uh, still to this day, I keep in touch with. Um at this point, I, I decided, well, yeah, this is, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a dancer. I'm going to dance because I came out here and I got this job, so I must be good enough to get a job in, on this professional level. I was making $700 a week. I'd never made $700 a week in anything. So um, six months was the contract. Um, about halfway through the contract, I was starting to see how the gears worked as a dancer. Um, I started going to class every day, taking uh, class from a girl by the name of Jenny Ballard. She was an amazing teacher out in uh, Las Vegas. Um, I would go see shows and see how people danced in different styles. And I would just study everything because it had been a long time since I studied. I wanted to be good or get better because I was good enough to get the job, but I wasn't technical like 
some other dancers were, and I wanted to be that because I knew technical bass would be better anyway in the long run. So I started taking class and started auditioning. And um, halfway through it, I, I knew that Jubilee was a great show as a good stepping stone. I was on stage every day, 12 shows a week. Mm. Um, it was not union at all. So uh, when we had a rehearsal, it was probably after the second show. And we wouldn't even get done with rehears uh, rehearsal or cleanup rehearsals till 4 a.m. You do your you do your 11 o'clock show, you finish at 1.30, you rehearse and clean up the show until about 4 or 5, and then you go home. Oh, my God. And you come back the next day and you do it at 8 and 11. <laughs> it, it, it's just the way it was. But that's all I knew. So it was... I was 23 and loving my life. Um, that's when Starlight Express was like the big new show. Cirque du Soleil had just come in over at Treasure Island. They were doing Mystere. It was the first uh, Cirque du Soleil show going in. And they were like a big deal, and Starlight was a big deal because it was the first Broadway show, kind of Broadway show, that had hit uh, uh, Las Vegas. So um, I was finishing up my contract, and they were having replacement auditions for their second year. Um, and I got that show. And had you roller skated before? Well, there were no, there was no roller skating in the audition at all. It was just oh. strict, strictly dance. Um, but the same day, we had another audition for MGM EFX for Anthony Van Lass. And I went to that audition first, and I danced, and I tumbled, and I got hired for that show. I got hired for that show, but they said the rehearsal process is going to be a little long because we're still developing the show. Um, and we don't have a set date for it to open. So, because Michael Crawford was coming in, he was going to be the lead, and then another girl, but Michael Crawford was the big lead. Um, we, I was supposed to start that, and I had to make a decision between that and Starlight. So I chose Starlight because they hadn't given uh, a date for opening. It was the best decision I ever made because they rehearsed for another year. They never, <laughs> they finally opened it a year and a half after they were supposed to. Because there was so much like technical stuff going on, they couldn't figure it out. So by that time, my contract with Starlight was pretty much over anyway. And I was just rehearsing, uh, I was doing the show at Starlight and, um, and started auditioning for other shows because that's what everyone was doing in the cast. They were going to Los Angeles every weekend and auditioning for stuff, tours and Broadway and this and that. So I was just kind of tagging along because I didn't know the world of musical theater. It was the first time I'd been in an equity show. So you got your card then for... Okay, so here's the deal with the equity card. They, <laughs> I didn't know what it was. They originally hired me as Turnoff, the Russian uh, train. Hmm. Um, they came back and they said, you know what? We want to do... We know you're a gymnast and you can tumble. We want to create this new character called the Flying Marshal. The Flying Marshal, we're going to have two of them. And it's going to be like the race referee. You're going to drive, you're going to skate around, flip around, and you'll be the referee with the flags. So you've got flags at all time, and you're doing all this stuff. But we want you to develop that part, create it, and it's yours. But you also need to create a way to tumble on roller skates. So I said, sure, I can do it. 24 years old, whatever. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I, sorry. I didn't, know what I, was, <laughs> um, I didn't know what I was doing, So, I, but I said... Give me a lot of pads, like wrist guards, elbow, knees, and a back guard, and a helmet. As long as I'm covered, and give me a big crash pad. They got all that stuff for me, and then I just started on my own skating. After I, we went through a full skate school with Michael Fraley, who is still the skate coach in Bochum, Germany for Starlight Express. Oh, my God. He's still doing the same thing. Great guy. Um, 
I created like how to do flips. I created all of it and I taught the other guys in the show how to do it. Um, that was that. But back to the equity card, which was really funny. Would you really want to know a funnier story about just getting the job? Yes. Um, I'd never auditioned for a musical. And I didn't know how they did it. So I asked people, how do I, I got to sing? And I'd never opened my mouth ever in my life before that. I'd never sung anything except in church. And I told him, I said, I don't know what to sing. So this guy set me up with this voice teacher in, in uh, Vegas. And I walked in the audition, got through the dance portion. They said, um, come on in, we're going to sing now. Well, I didn't know how they did it. I didn't know there was a piano accompanist there. I walked in with a cassette tape that I had made a copy of the guy that I'd been taking lessons from. He had plunked out the, the song. And it was uh, I'm a Sensation from Tommy because I'd seen that in Dallas and I loved that song. So I thought, I can sing that. So I said, if you just plunk out you know, the melody, I'll sing along to the tape. So I walked into the, uh, to the audition. They're all sitting there and I said, yeah, can you put this and just push play? <laughs> so I, and they looked at me like I had three heads and I was like, what? Push play. Where's your recorder? Where's your, where's your tape cassette player? <laughs> So I have like the lead in the, of the show, the director, the choreographer, and the economist is sitting over there just laughing. And I'm like, what? Because I'm so clueless. I have no idea what's going on. And the guy, uh, the director is like, where's your sheet music? And I said, right here. Um, give it to the guy. I was like, uh-uh, I got to sing. I got to <laughs> I gotta look at it. So I know the words. <laughs> so I said... They're like, we don't do that here. And I said, what do you mean you don't do what? I said, uh, they said, play a tape. And I said, why not? I said, it's how I'm going to sing. Or I can just sing without the tape, I guess. And they were like, find a tape player. And they found a tape player. They pushed play. And, and they thought I was going to sing along with a cassette of like Tommy. And I said... I'm not going to sing along with the guy singing. I'm going to sing along with the guy who I've been working with. Yeah. It's just the music. It's just the melody. There's no one else singing. It'll just be me. And they were like, okay, fine. So I sang. And their frowns went to smiles because I sang it pretty good, I guess. I, yes. I mean, anyway, they said, um, that was different. <laughs> um, and then about two days later, they called. They said, we'd like to offer you turn off the Russian judge or the Russian trained. And I was like, yes, I, I was like, I'd never gotten like that type of show with right. singing. And I said, okay, that's good. Um, the next day they called me and they said, we want you to do this other part, to create Flying Marshall, the one I was talking about earlier. Um, and they said, uh, we'll give you an equity contract. And I was like, a what? And he just kept saying, we'll give you the equity card. And I was like, well, let me think about it. And I didn't want to come across as dumb because I was one negotiating my contract. I didn't have an agent or anything right. like that. I went back to the Jubilee, to, back to Jubilee that night, and I said, I went to the, uh, the leading, the lead singer, um, and I said, what's, what's equity? She goes, it's the actor stage union. You have to be part of it to like do Broadway shows and touring shows. And um, in Starlight, it's a partial equity mm. show. At that time, it was the first time Equity had ever done like half Equity, half non. So half of our cast was Equity, half of them were not. So I called her, I asked her, I said, should I? She goes, yes, get, you've got to get it. You have to do that. 
So the next day I called him up and I said, I'll do it only if. Because um, she had told me, her name is Tina. She told me, she goes, it's not cheap. It's $800 for this card. I said, I don't have $800. She goes, get them to buy it. Yes. It's okay. So the next day I said, I will do your flying marshal if you buy my equity card. And they're like, we're not going to. I said, then, I'm, then I'll do the Russian judge. You know you're going to be non-equity. I said, that's fine. Because I didn't know what I was giving up. And they thought about it. They're like, you know what? Okay, we'll buy your equity card. So in 1993, Troika bought my equity card. Nice. Which I didn't still know what it, know what it meant. I didn't know what it meant at all. So, But yeah, I did that for a year. And my contract wasn't renewed. I was crushed. Because I was like, what do you mean you're firing me? You got hurt too much. And I was like, uh, <laughs> no, I'm on roller skates. I'm on roller skates. <laughs> Um, I had, like, busted my leg up opening night of our contract. I was out for three weeks out of a year. That's all I missed. That's not that much. That was, like, had to do with the artistic staff. It was the best decision ever made. Well, come to find out, I had been going, I'd been going to auditions. I went to audition for Jay Bender and Mark Simon. Audition for them in Los Angeles. Um, they had offered me a pepper shaker uh, and Beauty and the Beast. I didn't know if it was for Broadway or for the tour. I think it was Broadway. Um, it's been so long. I, I don't remember. It's 94 or 93. And they, they was, I was excited because I knew that I didn't get rehired for Starlight. And um, I needed a job. So they um, um, called me up and they said, uh, we're going to give you the pepper shaker. La, la, la. I said, great, perfect. Um, went back to work. The next week, uh, a lot of the boys in the cast were going on another audition in Los Angeles, so I flew out with them. It was for Damn Yankees, and it was the same guys. It was saying Mark Simon and Jay Bender. And Jay Bender goes, Jay Bender, I love to death. He has been one of my biggest fans and supporters of my talent and my career since moving to New York. He has helped me. He gave me great advice. And to still to this day, I, I love auditioning for Jay because I know he likes what I do, but he also helps me and gives me good criticism. So... Um, Anyway, so Jay said, I think we, we both think you're better suited for Damn Yankees. You're athletic and you tumble and you're like jock. And I said, yeah, so let's do that. <laughs> so they're like, well, um, the, the contract starts before you finish at Starlight. And I said, but they were like really cool about it. And they said, you know what, we'll wait for you. It was only two weeks. It was only two weeks. And uh, actually, no, it was just one week. And... I remember my closing night of Starlight, I was on a plane that night, took the red eye straight to New York and was at 890 Broadway rehearsing Damn Yankees the next day. Oh, 890. And it was the coolest thing because I remember I'd only been to New York one other time, um, and that was in 1990. But for my final callback, uh, they said, we need for you to come to New York. And I said okay when they're like Tuesday it was Friday oh. so I called out of the show sick because I had to get to um, New York and I think the ticket was $1,600 <laughs> but yeah, you, yeah who knew who knew so um, I flew to New York I get there and I go to uh, NOLA Studios on 54th and I go upstairs and I walk in and I, 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 uh, Joey Peasy, great guy, 
Joey Peasy was leading the, the, the audition, and I remembered him from Los Angeles. I walk in the door, and there is um, Joey. There's a woman by the name of Mo Gibson, who was production stage manager at the time for Dan Yankees, Rob Marshall, and Jack O'Brien. I don't know any of these people. I don't know who they are. I just walk in the door and ready for my audition. I was nervous as hell because I just knew that they needed one person. And I didn't know who was I was going to be up against. I get there, and it's just me. It's just me, and I do the Lola combination, the, the trio combination that uh, Scott Wise did. I was covering, I was taking Scott Wise's part. That's mm. what I was doing. And um, I did all that. I tumbled for them. I sang. And, I mean, at the, in retrospect, you know, I, or I had the job, but I didn't know I had it. Because, right. I mean, now looking back, I knew that I was the only one there. But I didn't know that at the time. And... I mean, Rob Marshall came over and he goes, um, we love you. You're great. You're so talented. We're so excited to have you. We would love for you to be Rocky, and we'd love for you to be Joe Hardy understudy. And I went, who's Joe Hardy? I didn't know who Joe Hardy was. <laughs> and I was like, who's Joe Hardy? I have to do two things? That's what I said. I have to do two things? Do I get paid double? I think that's what I said. And he laughed because he knew I was green. And... But he goes, kid, breath of fresh air. You're such a breath of fresh air. And I was like, okay, whatever that means. <laughs> so I'm jaded by the business because I didn't know the business. I didn't right. know anything. And who's Jack O'Brien? Who's Robbie Marshall? Yeah. I don't know these people. You know, now we all know who they are. Oh, absolutely. But um, it was the coolest thing. And I just remember getting in the cab with Joey Peasy, so excited, going back to my friend's house because... She was already living there, and I spent the night with her before I flew back the next day, knowing that I had just come to New York and got my first job. It's cool. So great. <laughs> it was cool. So I get emotional about that. You should. That's an amazing thing. It's an amazing memory. Well, it was just, I was spending so much money and traveling by myself and, and just, just trying things that I didn't know what was going to happen, all because... My two great friends pushed me to do it. It was cool. So, anyway. It's very cool. Anyway. So, uh, how long were you on that tour before uh, it led you to get back to New York City? Um, I did the tour for a year and a half. Um, we started the tour uh, at West Point, up in P uh, Poughkeepsie. And we were there for a good three weeks, teching the show. And then we did it there for a week. Um, and then we, from there, went on the road. Um, it was a full production contract. I was making $1,200. My pay was $1,200. And then I was getting a another check for per diem, like $640, $680. I was like, all this money just coming my way. <laughs> so, and I, I made some wonderful, wonderful friends on that tour, still to this day. One of my great friends, his name is Bobby Lambert, he and I became really close on the tour, and turns out that Big River that I saw, he was in it. He was the lead opposite Romain Fouget. Oh, wow. So, and Romain is still a great friend of mine to this day. So, and I met Romain through Bobby. Um, but, you know, it's just like that show world, you know? You, you don't know these people, but you see them, and you remember how great they were. And all of a sudden, you're working with them. It's like, oh my God, it's so cool. 
Magic. So, yeah. um, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> I can't, I can't get emotional. Um, what, what was I doing? I was doing... Okay. No, you're getting ready to come back to New York so, after the tour. So, a year and a half on the tour, and uh, I'm out there with Valerie Wright, Jerry Lewis, Linda Gabler, David Elder. I mean, just amazing, amazing people. I, I, I would study and watch them all. I, Valerie Wright, uh, one yeah. of the, if not the most talented woman on the freaking planet. I agree. Who can do anything and everything. So, still one of my dearest friends to this day. And uh, I'd watch them all, and we became such good friends. And I'd never been on a tour, so I didn't know what tour life was compared to like life in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, people have warned me, you know, tour life is not real life. And I said, well, I don't have anything to compare it to in New York because I haven't lived in New York yet. So I think the main goal for me on the Damn Yankees tour was just to get experience because all of a sudden I was pushed into an understudy, which I didn't know what understudying was, and I was understudying the freaking lead of the show. Absolutely. And it scared me half to death. I, 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 it frightened me because I didn't know if I was ready for that. I was ready to take on anything, but okay, an ensemble position, yes, because that's what I auditioned for. And to do my own little solo in the dance or whatever and maybe sing one line, that's fine. But to take over for the show when someone's out, I wasn't sure I was ready for that. And I'll come back to that in a second because that involves Jay Bender. Um, anyway, so we, we go on uh, the road. I'm out for a year and a half. The main thing was I pay off my student loans oh, for school. Yes. I paid off all that. Um, I left the tour in Toronto, and they had another six weeks left on the tour. There was word that the tour was going to go to the West End in London. Um, but I, I was ready to go. I was ready to get to New York and, and see what it was like. So I left the tour, um, got to New York, and it was everything I wanted it to be. It was perfect. Um, all the money I'd saved, you know, I was fine. I was set and living the high life. <laughs> Boy, did that money go fast. But um, um, I, I got a call from them. They were just finishing up the last week, and I got a call from them, and they said, we are going to the West End. Um, we want you to come back onto the tour. We want you to play Rocky because the, the current gentleman that's playing it, we'd rather have you do it. And I said, fine, I'll do it. And then I got to thinking, I'm like, I left that tour because... I wanted to do something new. So I thought, what can I add to my contract to, to make it just somewhat different than what I'd done for the last year and a half? And I asked for a show of Joe Hardy. I asked for, can I have the Wednesday map? Can I do Joe Hardy? I said, a year and a half before, you didn't even know who he was. I didn't know who he was. <laughs> and I never went on because J- David Elder never missed. Wow. And... And I wanted, at that point, I was confident in it. And I wanted to do it. And I remember saying to Charlotte Wilcox, I said, I want that. I want at least just one thing. Um, The gentleman who was doing, it wasn't David Elder. Another guy took over. uh, Wouldn't give up the Wednesday map. And I was like, kidding me. And I was like, kind of crushed because I'd been on tour with him the whole time. And he was the other understudy. So... I just thought it felt a little diva uh, yeah. of him. He's a great guy and all, but I mean, it's just one show and it's not going to take away from you because 
it's not going to take away from you. Yeah. It's just one show. Um, so I didn't go. And that day, I was like traumatized. I was like, I can't believe I'm not going to go to London and perform on the West End before I've even performed on Broadway. So I was really upset. And I thought, well, what am I going to do? Because I'm upset. When I'm upset, I, I go dance. It makes me feel better. So I went to Broadway Dance in the old building over on uh, 7th or yeah, Seventh Avenue and like 56th. Yeah. And um, I walked in. I said, I need... I need a jazz class. Just give me a jazz class. What's going on right now? And I walked in. It was Phil Black. And I was like, uh, A, he was really old. <laughs> His assistant was not even like doing anything good. And I was like, okay, I don't want to do this class. So I walked out and I said, what else is going on here that I can take? Because I've already paid and I don't want to leave. I just want to do something. What can I do? Well, Chet Walker has a musical theater professional level. I said, perfect. So I went in there. I'd never heard of Chip Walker. Uh, I didn't know Fosse anything. All I did was walk in the class, and he was teaching crunchy granola. And I'd never felt like anything suited my body the way that movement did. It came, I picked it up so fast, and I'm not a quick learner. It takes me forever to learn. And I hate auditioning because I'm not good at remembering. But this was different. It was like kismet. It was like magic and everything it, it did, I was like, oh my God, my wrist is like just like, it's, it feels good. And then my hip is right there and I can isolate that. And what is happening? It just felt so good. And I just had this freedom. And after the, the, the class, Chet Walker said, who are you? I said, my name's Brad. He goes, where are you from? Are you, are you new here? I said, yeah, I just moved here about a month ago. And... Uh, I need a class to come to. He goes, come to my class every day. I said, I can't afford that. I said, I, I barely can afford this 20 bucks that I'm doing here. Um, he goes, that's okay. You'll be my guest. Just sign in. You're my guest, Chet Walker, but be in my class every day. I, wow. didn't miss a, I didn't miss a class. Chet Walker, at the time, had already initiated a show called Fosse years ago. And that led me to my first Broadway show, being with him going to that class and I went to that class all because I didn't get what I wanted with uh, with Dan Yankees and being upset I went to a dance class because that makes me feel better so I went and didn't go to Phil Black I left his class yeah. I didn't like it and I went to another one I ended up going to Chet's class which led to going to class every day for four months and it was heaven it was hard as fuck it was so hard yeah and but I loved it loved it. I had no money to do anything in the, in the city. I'd spend all the other ones that I'd saved. And, but I was there every day. Every day. And I got asked to do a workshop. And that's where I met a lot of people. Like I met Liz Parkinson. I met Scott Wise. I met Mary McLeod. Lisa Guida I met. Um, Josh Rhodes who's a great choreographer now. I met um, Andy Blankenbuehler. Another uh, great Tony Award winning choreographer. Um, Desmond Richardson, who to this day is my best friend in mm. New York City. And just a plethora of talented people that just made my head spin in the best possible way there was to spin. Because all I could see around me was sheer talent and technique and like 
masters of what they did. And I felt like just a sponge. I was like, I'm taking everything I can get, not in a selfish way, but just as a learning way. And it just, it was the best time. And we did like three other workshops. And then we finally, we did a final workshop in Toronto. And then we opened to Fosse in 1999. So how, how many years was it until you actually made it to Broadway? Because I asked you, I said, how, why were you in Fosse for so long? Mm. And you said, because it took so long for Broad, to get to, to Broadway. To get to Broadway. And to think that there were workshops before me, too, that included other people. Um, you know, a Broadway show is not easy to, to, to get into, and it's not an easy pathway for the actual show, because it takes a lot of developing. And the, the uh, developmental process for that was just enormous. But Chet and Bill uh, Walker, Chet Walker and Bill Hastings, they knew the vocabulary. I mean, they were in Fosse shows back in the day. They were the dance captains. You know, um, once we got into the show, they had featured performers, Valerie Pettiford, our lead, Jane Lanier, our lead, uh, Dana Moore, our lead. Um, they were all, back in the day, in shows. They were in Big Deal. They were in um, mm. Sweet Charity. They were in Dancing. They were in Jerome Robbins Broadway. They were in all that stuff, and they were in all of Bob's shows. So we had them at the helm, you know, passing down the vocabulary and helping us, you know. Um, but it, it was just an amazing journey overall. Um, it was a sad journey, too, because, I mean, I had worked with Chet for a good three, four years. And then at the last minute, I mean, Anne Ryan King came in and Chet was out. No one understood it. Still to this day, I don't know why that happened because it's Chet's show. What oh, you're seeing absolutely. is Chet's show. Um, I just felt bad for him. I felt sorry for him because he did all the legwork, yeah. you know. And then you know, you bring in you know a, a bigger name that's going to direct it, and it just it just got really strange. And but at the same time, I was. I, I was loyal to the work, and I wanted to, to work. Oh, absolutely. When I first joined, um, let me let me tell you how hard it was because, as much I loved it, and much how much I loved doing the, the movement and how it spoke to me. When I first started, I was a swing. Lisa Guida was a swing. Josh Rhodes was a swing, and I remember at Eight Ninety Broadway, we were doing this developmental workshop, and it was like a month long. And the last day. It was tough. They were mentally tough on everyone. Even the dance captains were tough on us. I would get a talking to saying, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, from certain people. I'm not gonna mention names because those people are still in my life. Yeah. But I thought it was unnecessary to get that. I would break down and cry. Mm. I don't, I didn't need to hear that to make me better because I was working my ass off. And the thing is, if, if I'm not good enough, then why am I here? Why have I lasted for four years? But you're still beating me down? The very last day I quit, I walked up to Chet and I said, I love this movement, but the mind fucks are not worth it. I'm done. I quit. I quit. And my agent called me about an hour later and said, you're no longer a swing. Oh. You're cast. I was like, Really? Hmm. It took the guts to quit to get someone's attention, I guess. And maybe, maybe I'm tooting my own horn, but 
I just know the fucking work I put in was exhausting and blood, sweat, and tears doesn't even begin to to put what I felt that I put towards it, and then it still wasn't good enough for them. And then, then I said, then, I'm, then no one's ever going to be good for them. That's when I quit. Right. But I was cast in Not a Swing the next day. Well, I so, love the show. I saw it twice. I saw... Uh, <laughs> The Actors Fund, which is an amazing, amazing show. Always the best show. And it was uh, unbelievable. And But how you must have had so much pride, that being your Broadway debut, coming from, I mean, taking ballet when you were seven years old to be debuting on Broadway in a Fosse. Well, I mean, at the time when I was in ballet, I, I didn't know who Fosse was, you know? And, right. like, the Broadway path for me didn't really start until, like, five years before that because I was in Vegas in 93, that's six years. So in the six-year period, uh, I, I kind of caught up, yeah. I catch up a lot with a lot of what dancers did. But um, I just know that I needed, I need to move fast and learn quick. And I I think I did. But, yeah. But Fosse was incredible. Okay. Fosse yeah. was just like the, the be-all, end-all. It was like, I, I've never experienced anything like that in my life. My my friend Tempe, who I mentioned earlier, dancer, teacher, my teacher, and great friend. She came opening night, and <laughs> I remember coming out of the stage door at the Broadhurst Theater, and Tempe is very passionate, but she's not like too emotional. But the first thing I saw were was her coming at me like running mad. Oh my God. She was Oh my god! She was bawling her head off. And she looked at me and she's very she doesn't curse, she doesn't do anything. She's very proper that way, I guess. Sometimes, but she can curse sometimes. But that's not what usually comes out of her mouth. What she said was to was That's the best fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. That's amazing. And I was like, It is! And we just sat there and bawled together. Uh. So opening night we went to um Four Seasons restaurant, not off the hotel, but the Four Seasons restaurant, um, and spent like a thousand dollars on dinner. It was nice, awesome. It was the coolest thing to have my friends there, and it was just the coolest thing. So that was my opening night experience with Fosse, and and the next day, I remember walking to the theater. I got out of the subway, was walking up Forty Fourth. I walk under the marquee of Phantom of the Opera. I look across the street, and St. James is there. And I look up, and then there's my picture. They put up all these pictures of from the show. I just cried. Is it cool? <laughs> and then the show won the Tony. We won Tony Award for <laughs> for um, Best Musical. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It was fantastic. I have a cool Tony story, too. Uh, we were forming the Tony. We were doing Sing, 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 which is a freaking 15-minute number. We just did the opening of it. And Julie Andrews and Carol Burnett were introducing us. And the way we're all sitting up on stage, I was way stage left in the podium where Carol Burnett and Julie Andrews were standing. Just happened to be literally, like, standing right next to me. And my opening position of, of, of Sing, Sing, Sing is where I'm, like... Standing up, but I drop over from the waist, and my ass is kind of sticking up in, like, these shiny pants. I hear Carol Burnett say, 
Damn that ass. Hey, this is Fosse from Night. <laughs> she was saying something about my ass to someone else's ass next to me, and then like it almost caught it on the televised prompter. She was like late coming in because we our asses were basically right in her face. Oh, that's hysterical. Good stuff. Good stories Good like stuff. that. We told a great story about Gwen Verdon earlier. Oh, oh, oh. Um, we were we did a god like a nine month tour of uh, of Fosse before we got to New York. We did. Um, uh, we were we're in Toronto for a good six months. We went to Boston for two months and then Los Angeles for one month, um, developing the show and this and that. Um, Gwen was with us the whole time. Um, I have a great story with with Gwen. She's just the coolest lady. She was the the absolute best because she knew her shit. She didn't take any shit. She was sweet, but hard as tough as nails too. And it, all that wrapped in to this little tiny redheaded Spitfire. And uh, I remember we were learning Big Deal. Uh, Beat Me Daddy ate to the bar from Big Deal. And I don't get headaches. I never get headaches. I was standing there and the room started spinning and I, I felt like this pain in my head and it felt awful. I was like, I don't know what's happening. And I was trying to stand up because if you know Beat Me Daddy ate to the bar, the beginning scene, everyone is doing... I hit flick, flick on different counts. So every person on that stage is doing something different for the first like minute of the show, mm. of the, the number. And it's very intricate. And Chet was going around telling each person, okay, you do this, you flick on one, you flick on two, hit your shoulder on seven, hit on and on the eight. And I was like, okay, done. Uh, all I know is that I literally, it brought me to my knees and Gwen came over, she goes, What's happening, Brad? What's going on? And I said, I can't see. Everything's dark, and my head hurts so bad. She goes, Oh my God, you're having a migraine. <laughs> and I said, What? She, uh, she goes, Come with me. She picked me up, literally, took me to the stage manager's office. She says, Everybody, get out. I mean, people are in there working. She says, Get out. Get out. Hand me my purse. Where's my purse? She pulls out this bottle of pills and she goes take this take this take this <laughs> so I took three pills that Gwen Verdon gave me she goes lay down everybody get out and don't come in here until he wakes up four hours later I wake up feeling refreshed <laughs> wow I had had a major migraine headache and Gwen Verdon took care of me I love that that was my Gwen Verdon migraine story we go to Boston um, we have a Frug rehearsal because Frug is hard it's so stylized Gwen was there and we were in this warehouse uh, rehearsals uh, hall no air the windows were open but it's summertime it is hot as balls and humid in, in Boston so uh, Gwen is telling all the girls how to do the slope walk you know perfect so she had every girl doing it and when the girls weren't doing it right she started doing it remember how hot it was in there well when you're 65 70 or whatever age she was um to keep red hair, you have to dye your hair. Well, her semi-permanent color started coming out. And when you see Gwen Verdon, like little white t-shirt, like like little pedal pusher pants, bobby socks, and white kids. Okay, she's straight from like the Bob Sullivan show or the Ed Sullivan show. And <laughs> her hair dye is dripping. You think she'd stop and wipe her face? Mm-mm. The woman <laughs> didn't stop. She kept on kept on just how you do it. Then she started doing the men's walk with a cigarette. This is how you do it. This is how you do it. The, the rehearsal was almost over and then 
like we all were like on point with Gwen because it's freaking Gwen Verdon. Yeah, absolutely. She's like the keeper of everything. She's the last one. So something happened and the 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 cover situation in Fossey was so screwed up. There was like internal covers and there was first, second, third covers for every part uh. in the show and everyone had some different cover. It was the weirdest thing I'd ever seen. But it was like this system and the dance captains knew how to do it but it was just weird. Anyway, no one knew who was going to cover Trumpet. I mean, we all knew Liz Parkinson was going to do it because yeah. nobody could touch her. Gwen, at the end of the rehearsal, we're supposed to be done. Gwen goes, ladies, who covers trumpet? And the girls raise their hand. There's like six or seven of them. She goes, one by one, <gasps> do it. We're going to see who does it best. Oh my God. We sat there and watched every girl do trumpet. <laughs> wow. You've never seen girls dance their ass off. <laughs> it was the it was the best. I loved it. <laughs> so how'd you go from Fosse to Kiss Me Kate? Um Fosse was closing. We had already heard that we were gonna close, so I started auditioning for other things. Um I had auditioned for Kiss Me Kate. Uh, Kathleen Marshall and I knew Kathleen from Damn Yankees because she came out on the road and cleaned up mm. a choreography for Robbie, her brother. So um, went over there and originally I had auditioned for the um, uh, Bill Calhoun part. That's the part I auditioned for, and I thought that was the part I was doing because um, Michael Bress was leaving, um, and uh, I was told that one of the the guys that was there. Um, originally covered that part and when he found out that Michael was leaving he wanted to move into the spot um, Kathleen is very loyal that way and I totally understood the, the, the guy who had been playing Grimio who had covered so he moved into the spot and I ended up doing Grimio yeah I wanted to do Bill Calhoun but listen he'd been there and she's loyal to him he'd been there longer than me that's fine I get it one of the best experiences ever because it was so different than Fosse. So different. And met a whole new group of people. Oh my God, just great. You're in the Martin Beck Theater, the most beautiful theater in New York, which is now the Hirschfeld, whatever. <laughs> Martin Beck, it will always be Martin Beck to me. Um, and uh, I did that until 9-11 uh, happened. Mm. And 9-11 changed everything. And we got our closing notice. Um, a lot of shows got the closing notice. And we as performers and actors in the company decided to buy four tickets a week. Or two to four tickets a week. Whatever you could afford. We would buy our own tickets to the show. And then give them to the first responders and their families. So oh, wow. we, get, we kept our show open until New Year's Eve. We kept it open in, for another three months. That's a great story. Buying I've never our heard that. yeah, buying our our own tickets to our show. We bought tickets for about a month, and then the the, the Times and the Post gave a great article about what we're doing, and it kind of got people in the doors again. But I'll never forget nine uh, September twelfth. Walked in that theater, and there were thirty four people in the audience. Mm. You've never experienced anything like that, and I'm sure other people in other theaters were experiencing the same thing. It was just wrong that yeah. we were there. Absolutely, no one should be doing anything joyful when the when the world was going through what it was going through, and 
I just it just felt weird and wrong and but but then when you see those people in the seats and it's an escape for two hours and 45 minutes at least from what's going on in their lives and they don't know who their dad is or their mother it made sense so we would yeah it was it was a very hard time um but we did that and i'm glad we did that none of us could really afford to buy three or four tickets no. tickets weren't cheap then <laughs> but we did but uh it was just this coming together like everyone felt the coming together on their own in their own plane of what their life was at that time and Kiss Me Kate was the plane I was living in and it was an amazing venture with them and support and support for a city and it was cool it was very cool um yeah, I know. I love the feeling that uh, the New Yorkers had a pride and a, oh, and a unity after such destruction. It was huge. Uh, a little fun side note: one of my dressers, Randy Witherspoon, great like songwriter and musician. Um, he was my dresser, and he wrote a song, and it's called "I Will Remember," and I recorded it, and they played it on the they played it on the radio in New York. Oh, it was nice. like a it was like a pop song like a like a homage to yeah, yeah. um uh what was it called we will we will stand we will stand or something like that it's been a long time yes but um yeah it was really weird that he's like Brad I like your voice will you record this I'm like what so it was just like a side thing I've got somewhere That's somewhere great. it's a cool thing well one of your next big Broadway shows was Boy from Oz which is funny when I was saying oh I'm about to work with Brad Anderson the first thing he said was oh. Luckiest man in show business. I saw him in Boy from Oz, and then I now then I remembered. I was like, "Oh, why? So okay, why? What? I mean, you're tell us about your track in Boy Two from Oz." Two words: Hugh Jackman. <laughs> I'll expand that um, into six words. I got to kiss Hugh Jackman. <laughs> so, okay, when I first started with the show, um, uh, I was in the ensemble. Uh, I covered Hugh. I always covered Hugh from the get-go, okay? And covered uh, his boyfriend, uh, which was played by Jared. Um, Jared, oh my God. Emmett. Thank you. Um, there's a lot of names in my head. <laughs> so, um, I, just from the start, uh, the process was so great because I'd never worked with a star at that point. Well, actually, I take that back. Uh, in between Kiss Me Kate and uh, Boy from Oz. Boy from Oz, thank you. <laughs> um, I had done Lincoln Center Gala, Anything Goes, with Pilot oh, Poem. Yes. And um, so we'll, we'll get back to you, I promise. <laughs> but you don't want to miss this. This is a good Pilot Poem story. Um, so we did Lincoln Center uh, Spring Gala, and they brought back most of the original company uh, Howard McGillan and uh, Pilot Poem, the two main leads. Um, so, it was a one-night deal. Uh, it's a Broadway credit, which, yes, I get about one Broadway credit for one night of, you know, a show, which nice. is pretty cool. Yeah. So, um, we rehearse, and we're having a good time, and just watching her process, I've never seen anybody so fearless in my life. Because I'm really self-conscious about my acting choices, and I'm scared to try new things, and because I'm afraid what people might think, and that's a Texas thing, and I hate that. And I'm still to this day trying to get all over all that crap. But um, but 
it was an education for me to watch this woman who had bigger balls than any other man in that damn rehearsal mm-hmm. room. Um, and the funny thing is, is that she was, we're doing it with, she's doing it with the same people she did it years ago. And she's like, she, she's like, I did it like this back then, but my God, that's a horrible choice. You know, I mean, it was like, it, it wasn't a horrible choice, but she goes, oh yeah, well, this is bad, this is stupid. Just, what was I thinking? So she tried new things with the same script she'd done 10, 12 years prior to that, which I thought was cool. And it also gave me the realization and education to watch someone to know that there is really nothing wrong because what you did back then can be done a different way. So what I might do one thing one way and she might do it another way, it doesn't mean I'm wrong or she's wrong or she's right or I'm right. It just it allowed a door to be opened for me to think. It's just my interpretation. So it was a cool learning experience for that. Uh, the one night we do it, um, I was Sailor. Sailor Boy number three. And, uh, <laughs> and Blow Gabriel Blow opened the second act. Coolest number. Um, oh my God, it was so much fun to dance that. It was just really good guy physical dancing. And who choreographed that? Um... God, who was it? Who was that? Was it Bobby Longhoff? No, I don't remember. Well, that's okay. That's bad. <laughs> oh my God! Something tells me Bobby Longbottom. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I think it was Bobby Longbottom. Um. Anyway, because uh, I that's the first time I ever met him, and I was worked for him, so it had to be it had to be him. Maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? Anyway, it was one night. Sorry, Bobby. So, uh, I, uh, we get to the top of second act, Blow Gabriel Blow starts, and at the very end, we finish the number, we all do like double turn, double tour, down to our knees, bam, and arms up, we're on our knees, we're leaning back, and all of our hands are shining right at Patty. And I'm like, <sighs> breathing so heavy. And she looked at me, she goes, that was the most fucking exciting thing I've ever done. She looked at me and said that, she goes, let's do it again. And I went, okay. <laughs> and I'm just like dying. I have no, like, I'm just dry mouth. And who gives a fuck? It was the most incredible feeling. She goes, boys, set it up from the top. And we reset the top of Act 2 and did the number again. Because the audience would not stop going crazy. Because it was exciting. It was just, it was just so exciting. And we did it again. It was just as thrilling the second time. And she looked at me. And she goes, G-? "She goes, just kidding. I'm not gonna do it again." <laughs> because she looked at me. She goes, "Do it. Let's do it again." The first time, and I was oh like, "Okay." I'm just like little chorus boy going, "Okay, Patty, whatever you want to do, <laughs> anything you want." Yes, and oh. we did it again. Oh. One of the most thrilling moments of my career. I love to that. feel that. Again, yes. As every performer knows, you get that those goosebumps come up, and you're invincible. You can do anything. Yep, absolutely anything. Yeah. So, okay, that was Tyler Pone's story. Good.